In the holy name of Jesus, amen. I had only been a pastor a couple of months when my phone rang. It was the local funeral director telling me that I'd be doing a funeral for one of my members at his place on Wednesday. He told me the obituary had already been sent to the weekly paper and that the service had already been planned, so all I really needed to do was show up. That seemed a little bit odd to me because normally a pastor is the one who does that care and planning. But I was new and it was a small town, so I said okay. And then I called my elders to get the straight story. I asked the elders if they knew this woman, and they said yes, they did. And then one elder said, the last time we saw her was about 10 years ago. She chased us off her front porch with a broom. So that was the first hint of trouble. I'm new and it's a small town and I'm already locked into the funeral because the paper is only published once a week. And besides that, all the arrangements have already been made at the funeral home and at the coffee shop and the bowling alley and the gas station and the local cafe. That's how small towns work. But I didn't even know who the woman was and I didn't even know if she believed in Jesus, so what was I supposed to do? Later that day, I called her house and a young boy picked up the phone. He must have been 10 or 11 or 12 years old. And we chatted a bit and he told me it was his grandmother who had died. And I told him how sorry I was and I asked if his parents were home and he said, no, they're not home. They're out buying new clothes for the funeral you're going to do on Wednesday. Of course, I didn't tell him I wasn't even sure I'd be doing the funeral after the way his grandmother had spanked my elders with her broom. So I just said, when your parents get back, have them call me. And then just as I was about to hang up, the boy said, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And he said, I was just wondering, is your church just for dead folks, or is it for live folks too? I've been asking myself that same question ever since. In fact, that is the question of Easter. Is your church just for dead folks, or is it for live folks too? If you've been with us these last 40 days, you know that it has been a very scary Lent. Almost everybody that we've met is scared to death. It started with transfiguration when the three disciples tumbled down the mountain in fear. After that, it was Nicodemus and the woman at the well the Pharisees and the man born blind, Lazarus, Caiaphas, Pilate, Herod, Mary and Martha, and now the soldiers this morning. They are all so afraid. Of course, it makes sense that they are also afraid. On Monday, Thursday, the way that Judas betrayed Jesus was absolutely terrifying. I still don't understand how one person does that to another. If Judas can cash out his relationship with Jesus so easily, especially after being treated so well for three years by the very Son of God, then there is no business partnership, no friendship, no marriage vow, and no family relationship that is safe. If that's the way it is for us, 
if that is the final word on human relationships, then you and I need to be very scared too. Then on Good Friday, the way that Jesus died was absolutely horrifying. Really now, how can one person do that to another person? I don't know if you caught the special on the Shroud of Turin that was running all last week on the History Channel. And I don't know if you believe in the Shroud of Turin. I don't know if you believe that it is the cloth that was used to bury Jesus or not. But whether it's true or not, whether the Shroud of Turin is a miracle of the resurrection or a miracle of art, one of the most frightening things is that they have now used a computer to trace the pattern of bloodstains on the shroud. And when it is illumined, we see that every inch of Jesus' body, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, is flayed and bruised and bleeding. It is terrifying that one human being can do that to another human being. So after such a scary Lent, after 40 days of that, all I can really say is, wow, we must be really, really bad. We must be really sick and desperate and broken and confused and alone and unloved. In fact, our pain runs so deep, our anguish and our worry, our hates and our darkness, our fear goes so deep that when Jesus shows up to help us, to save us from ourselves, we got so scared of the changes he wanted, changes like repentance and forgiveness and restitution and new life, changes like obedience. We instead chose to self-medicate, and we Googled up our own answer, and that answer ended with us betraying and beating and killing the very Son of God, the Holy One who came to save us. Is your church just for dead folks? Yes, there are times when it seems like it's only for dead folks. And now for just a moment this morning when the angel pops down from heaven, it looks like we're finally going to get what we deserve. And that is the reason everybody in the Easter story is so scared. You can see it in the fear of the women and the soldiers. The earthquakes, the lightning flashes, the angel descends, the Roman guards, who are the toughest guys around, they shake and they faint. And it looks like we're next. When the stone rolls back and the tomb is empty and Jesus isn't there, the only logical conclusion after the last 40 days is that Jesus is up early and he's out and he's looking for the people who beat him and betrayed him and hung him on a cross so he can get a little bit of revenge because that is what you and I would do. But then the angel turns to the women and says the most shocking thing. Verse 5. You have nothing to fear. After all of that, after such a scary Lent, 
after our broken and desperate lives, full of lies and betrayal and hates and beatings and darkness and death, after all of that, and after his crucifixion, how can the angel say that you and I have nothing to fear? That is the great mystery of the Triduum, these three most holy days of the church year. You have nothing to fear because the scriptures say, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So today, you and I are not going to get what we deserve. Instead, this Easter, you and I are going to get what Christ deserves. You have heard it from this pulpit a thousand times before, that Jesus loves the little, the least, the lost, the last, and the dead. Jesus loves his friends. Jesus loves his enemies. Jesus even loves each one of you. And he loves you just the way you are, just the way you come this morning, curled up, lashing out, lying, bitter, hurt, even betraying him, even killing him. It just doesn't matter to him. He's used to it. He's seen it all before. You're not the first one. He's been through the 40 days of Lent. And he's pretty good at fixing it, pretty good at fixing all of you. If you would just stop self-medicating and have him as he is. Jesus knows all the evil that is in you. He knows you're a damn sinner. And yet the miracle is that Jesus still loves you. And he's willing to give you a second chance. What Jesus wants most on Easter is to have all of you home again in Eden. So the cross is his final word on your sin. Jesus has paid your tab, and you owe him big. And he's not going to take anything in return and he's never going to bring it up again. So you shouldn't either. The cross is his final word on all your sins. And the resurrection is your final chance to agree with him. It is your final chance to say amen to everything that has happened in the Triduum these last three holy days. It is your last and best chance to leave your sins behind and to have a little Eden, not just someday, but actually to have a little bit of Eden right now in this place with your family and your friends and your community and your church. So that next time you see Jesus, we won't have to go through all this drama. The next time you see him, you don't have to fear him and he doesn't have to kill you. And then the church won't be full of dead folks. The church will be full of live folks. Perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4, 18. His perfect love for all of you, which put him on the cross for all of you, means that God is not angry with you, and you don't need to be angry with God, and you don't need to be angry with each other, so since nobody's angry at anybody else, there's really nothing to fight about. And if there's nothing to fight about, there's nothing to fear. So right here, right now, 
you can come near like Mary and Mary Magdalene and the angels and adore his risen body and blood. In fact, you can eat and drink the feast of heaven right now today at this altar. The body that absorbed your sin, the blood that reconciles you to your heavenly Father, the soul and divinity that makes our lives new. New because they are more true and hopeful now, more given to light and to honesty and to trust and to truth, to forgiveness and community and love and mercy and generosity and witness. That's why Easter matters. As he loves us, we come to love his perfect love, a love that casts out our fear and teaches us to live in gratitude and light and obedience. Easter is your chance to live like the women at the tomb today, always seeking Jesus. And by the way, I did the funeral because the church isn't just for dead folks. It's for live folks too, folks like all of you. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.